All right. Well, hey, welcome. Good to have you here. How many of you just happened to get here on time? <laughs> yeah, you did set your clocks back. Good deal. And uh, so we're glad that you're here. And uh, we're, we're going to look this morning at this whole idea of who's your one as we get going. So have you ever been in this kind of a discussion with friends where you're sitting around and just started talking and asking one another, do you remember where you were when? And it might start out like when, how about 911 took place? You remember that? You remember where you were? See, that's what happens is we, we think of these kinds of things, and many times they're kind of a negative tragedy thing, and we remember exactly. I remember I was sitting at my desk and somebody came running into the office, not here, across the street, and, uh, and said, oh, a plane crashed into the, one of the towers, and, and I'm like, what? Come on. And, and you, you may have responded that way or not, and then all of a sudden, wow, who knows? Who knew? How about this one? Columbine High School shooting. Do you remember that one? April 20th, 1999. I'm a real clear. My uh, daughter was a junior that year. And uh, scared to death the next day to go back to school after hearing about 13 students or teachers and students were killed. Columbine High School there and, and uh, about 20 or more wounded, but uh, a tragedy. Do you remember where you were when the space shuttle Challenger exploded? I realize I'm going farther back in history, so I'm getting fewer and fewer of you that are going to be with me. That was... Uh, January 28th, 1986. Some of you go, I wasn't even born then. <laughs> so I get it. I understand. Well, maybe you studied it in school history, but uh, I remember where I was that time too. Uh, John F. Kennedy assassination. Now I just eliminated a whole bunch of you. Do you remember that one? I was in fifth grade, and I'm only 48, so that eliminates... Uh, Anyway, uh, November 22nd, 1963, I remember that. We were out in the playground, fifth grade recess, and, and everybody ended up out in the playground for recess, and we saw the teachers huddled around the door and, and crying, and, I, and we kept thinking, what in the world's going on? We're out here and out here and out here, and finally they let us in by the end of the day and sent us all home. It's like, wow, what's going on? But that was it. President John F. Kennedy had been assassinated for the younger generation. Okay, so you'll remember this. I don't have a slide for this, but you'll remember February 4th, 2018, when the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, that was... You all, <laughs> no, 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 I had to throw something in there. You may not have liked it, but at least you remember it, maybe, two years ago. Although it is amazing how quickly we forget. But here's one for you. Just two weeks ago, on Saturday, February 22nd, if you were at all, you may not even be a sports fan, but maybe this more so because it was the Olympics, the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. You know what that is? The Miracle on Ice, that's the year that uh, the United States men's hockey team beat Russia. I mean, that was a miracle. <laughs> they called it that. 
And of course, one of the things that most people don't remember when they think about that is that wasn't even the gold medal game. They still had a couple of days later to, to win, the, to get the gold medal, but beating Russia was just an unbelievable thing. So you remember where you were. I remember Jane and I had gone up to Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. We were a youth pastor in the Chicago area, and we were looking at the site for a potential mission trip with our students, uh, our, our high school ministry, and uh, Ed and Dorothy Woods were missionary pastors up there. It was a church plant, and uh, we were up there, drove home, got home in time to see that game or the end of the game, and wow, who would have believed it? But there it is. So let me ask you this. Those are all memorable moments in time, right? And we could go on and on. Uh, I wanted to end with a positive one there because it seems like it's the tough ones, the negative things that we often remember more so. But do you remember where you were the first time you were challenged to follow Jesus? I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the first time after you knew Jesus Christ as your Savior when you were really challenged. And the language may have been, you need to dedicate your life to Christ. And they may have used, somebody preached or challenged you with Romans 12, 1 and 2, those kinds of things. That's my youth ministry background coming out as I think through those kinds of things. It, it may not have been that. It may have been your own study of the Word of God. It may have been in youth group. It may have been in a college group somewhere. It may have been at a camp somewhere. I don't know where it was. But do you remember the first time that you were challenged to completely surrender your life to Christ? Ready to follow Jesus, no matter what, ready to make an impact for God everywhere you went. Has that ever happened? Have you ever been challenged? Have you ever responded in that way? Maybe that was part of your baptism as you think about it, where you're committed to say, you know what, I know Jesus, I want the world to know Jesus, and from here on out as I publicly declare my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to get baptized and, and boom, from here on out. That's, I totally surrendered following Jesus. I don't know if you remember that time in your life or if you've had that time in your life, but this morning we're going to dive into a new series that we introduced last Sunday. You heard Scott talk about it again, Who's Your One? We're going to give you time at the end of the service. If you didn't get one of those cards, we'll make sure we have our guys ready to distribute those, but we're going to give you an opportunity, as I demonstrated last week, to put a name up here on the cross with an individual that you have identified God's burdened your heart about, that you're going to begin to pray, and that you're going to begin to invest in, and that you're going to ultimately invite to opportunities for gospel conversations. Ultimately, hopefully, you're going to be able to invite them to know Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. We're timing it, yes, as we lead up to Easter, but the goal is not just that they would get saved by Easter. Hey, that, that's all God's timing, and sometimes it takes a whole lot longer than we would like to see. But we're going to keep, we're going to go at this. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep this before you throughout the year and beyond, if necessary, to trust God to bring people 
to Christ. Not for you, not for me, not for Heritage Baptist Church, not so that we'll see more people uh, attending or giving or whatever, not so that we can uh, put in a, uh, an article somewhere about how many people got saved this year or baptized this year, but because people need Jesus. Because people are lost, dying, on their way to hell without Jesus, and, and we have been given a responsibility to proclaim the gospel. That's our responsibility. Who's your one? And we're going to talk about that throughout these next four weeks. I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 17. <clears throat> we'll start there. And uh, I'm going to read these, so just follow along. I'll have the, the verses on the screen. But if you don't have a Bible and would like to follow along with a Bible, if you don't have a tablet or a phone with you, under the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible in that Bible, page 677, 677, Matthew chapter 4. And uh, you follow as I read, starting at verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 18, as Jesus was walking by the sea, beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him, followed Jesus. Now this is... Not a completely unfamiliar text to you, I'm sure. Even a few weeks back, I made reference to all that was going on here. We looked at the text starting back in verse 12 when we found out Jesus heard that John the Baptist was in prison and uh, he withdrew up into Galilee and uh, he was there. He was fulfilling scripture. And then we read verse 17, from that time on. Well, as we look at these verses, first and foremost, this section, these verses is about, are about Jesus. It's about Jesus. There's all kinds of things going on. There are five other individuals listed in these verses, but the text is about Jesus, and it's critical that we understand that. The passage is all about Jesus, and it makes it clear that Jesus wanted these two sets of brothers Peter and Andrew, James and John, to follow him and to proclaim the gospel to those who didn't know him. Follow me. Come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. That's what Jesus said. I will make you fish for people. And I want to challenge you with this thought this morning. You can follow Jesus and proclaim the gospel to those who don't know him. You can. You can follow Jesus and proclaim the gospel to those who don't know him. 
We sometimes hear all of these kinds of stories, how Jesus called his disciples, the Great Commission, we've talked about that. Talk about the church beginning in Acts chapter 2 and what Jesus had told the disciples in Acts chapter 1 about their responsibility to be witnesses. And we sometimes, yeah, but, but that's just not me. And I want you to know this morning that you, if you know Jesus this morning, you can follow him. We talked about what it means to be a disciple in Mark chapter 8 back at the beginning of January. We, we discussed all that what was involved, and I want you to know that you can follow Jesus and proclaim the gospel to those who don't know him. You can be effective in choosing your one and seeing them come to Christ. And you can do this because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done. And in these verses, as I mentioned, they're about Jesus. And because of what he has done, we can do. We can follow and we can proclaim the gospel effectively. Verse 17, from that time on, this is Jesus began. And these, this verse indicates a change in Matthew's account of Jesus' life and ministry. There, there's, uh, after he shares all that had gone on, it's obvious that Jesus was affected by the news he heard about John the Baptist and about recognizing his part in the fulfillment of Scripture is what he quotes Isaiah. But then he said, and from that time on, Jesus began to preach. You see, John the Baptist, as we actually go back even to the beginning of Matthew, those early years, the first couple of chapters talking about the birth of Jesus and and his early years and how the wise men came and how he had to flee to Egypt, warned in a dream. And, and then we get to chapter 3 and John the Baptist shows up and he was to prepare the way of the Lord. We're told that as you read through John chapter 3 and you could go to John 1 and, and figure all of how that coincides. But here we know that John the Baptist baptized Jesus. That happened in Matthew chapter 3. And, and during that baptism, Jesus put his approval, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And, and as John the Baptist baptized Jesus, that's what the voice was heard was God the Father's voice. And, and confirming, affirming, approving of Jesus as his son in the ministry that he was about to have. And chapter 4, Jesus demonstrated his power over Satan. If you remember the wilderness temptation for 40 days and the devil tempted him there three times. And, and Jesus demonstrated his power to not respond. Power over Satan. And then John the Baptist is arrested here. And, and, of course, in prison, his public ministry ended. He was no longer able to prepare the way for the Lord. But Jesus was now public. He was now out starting his ministry. And he begins in verse 18 as he selects his team. His team. Team of disciples. Verse 18, as Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
Now, let me give you a little bit of historical background about the educational system. Because as Jesus is calling these men, and we're going to see just a minute, to follow him, it's important that we understand, again, this is about Jesus. And Jesus came as the Messiah. Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's building his team of disciples that are going to be with him, ultimately 12. And in this text, we're going to find out that he starts with four, two sets of brothers. But at that point in, in religious culture, in the school system, the educa- I should say the educational system, all Hebrew boys went to Torah school by about age five, five or six. And they would go and learn the, the Old Testament, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament. They would be taught all about them. By age 10, all of those boys knew the Torah. They pretty much had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Can you get, wow, are you kidding me? I can get the Genesis and some of the Exodus, but beyond that, it's like, wow. But that's what it was. That's what they were taught. And, and um, the best students at that point went on to study the remainder of the Old Testament. The rest, as they got into their middle teen years, 14, 15 or so, 13 was the bar mitzvah for boys, the, the bat mitzvah for girls. But, but as they went on, those who were the best students continued to study and the rest of them returned home to, to work in the family business. And that's where we have Peter and Andrew, James and John. I'll come back to that in a minute. At about age 17, if a boy wanted to go on and make a career out of religious studies, his next step was to find a rabbi. And there were plenty around. And this wasn't always just an official job, but a rabbi was a master teacher. He was viewed as such. And to find a rabbi that he admired, that he knew about, and that he wanted to follow, and he would apply to become one of his disciples, a disciple of a specific rabbi. That's how that worked. And when that individual, that boy, found a rabbi that he wanted to follow, that he wanted to learn from, he would go and sit at his feet. And that action was an indication that he was requesting to learn from that rabbi. He was requesting for him to be a disciple of this specific rabbi. Well, the rabbi would examine that individual and uh, ask him questions and check his understanding. And it wasn't just if he could quote all of the five books of the Old Testament, but it was if he understood all of that. And he would put him through a series of tests to check his understanding, to check his knowledge, to see if he understood the interpretations and how to apply that and to, to, to live that out in his life. And the rabbis could choose. They had the opportunity because these boys would come and sit at their feet. So they had the opportunity to choose the the best and the brightest, the smartest, the most talented boys to be their disciples. They could be picky. And they really had to be because another reason the rabbis were is that when they chose a disciple... And this was part of the educational culture for the Jewish families, for those boys. 
When they chose a disciple, they were choosing an individual. They're choosing someone who they believed could become just like them. Interesting, isn't it? Just like them. Not just to know what they knew, but to do what they did. That's the way it worked. And so if a rabbi testing one of these boys felt that that young man, there was no way he was going to be able to really be like him, he wouldn't choose him. And if he didn't choose him, that's when they'd go back, okay, and they would pursue, become part of the family business. For several years after, if they were chosen, those young disciples would follow their rabbis, imitating them in every way. They would follow them all over the town, the city, the countryside, wherever they went, they were with them. Because the goal of a disciple was to be like the rabbi that they were following, that had responded as they had chosen that rabbi and the rabbi accepted them the goal was to be like that rabbi and ultimately to become a rabbi and have his own group of disciples so when we get to verse 19 jesus says to peter and andrew come follow me Come, follow me. Here, here, after me, is what he was saying. And uh, Jesus established a new plan for disciple making. Because knowing what I just said, that the disciple, potential disciple, would come and sit at the rabbi's feet, and that rabbi would test him and decide whether or not he wanted to choose him. This is not what Jesus did here. Peter and Andrew did not request to become disciples of the rabbi Jesus. And Jesus is referred to in the Gospels as a rabbi, as a teacher. But they, they, they weren't doing it the usual way. We're told Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he chooses. He says to Peter and Andrew, hey, you, come follow me. That's not the way it was done, but that's what Jesus did. He was breaking with tradition. He was going against the grain there. You see, he called those that he wanted to be his disciples. They did not choose him. He chose them. That meant, if you think about it, these four guys, because he goes on to the next verses and chooses James and John the same way, that means that these four guys hadn't made the cut to be a rabbi's disciple in their culture. They, they didn't make it. You could say that uh, that meant these guys who were just fishermen were kind of the B team. They were the second or third string. They weren't the first string. They weren't the best of the best because they hadn't been chosen they, they may have tried, who, I don't know that, but we know this, they're not following some other rabbi around. They're not the best of the best. And yet Jesus comes and says, 
hey, come follow me. Wow. We can follow Jesus, and we can fish for men, proclaim the gospel to those who need to know Jesus because Jesus chose us. Now, that started with salvation. You could check out John chapter 15 and verse 16 when Jesus said to the disciples, hey, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, he said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Jesus chose us. Wow. That's an amazing thing. And Jesus chose these four fishermen. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 tells us that the student or the disciple is not above the teacher, the master, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. John MacArthur said this, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. As one writer put it, Jesus didn't choose the best he chose the willing. Are you willing this morning to follow Jesus? You say, well, how can you not be? If we know Jesus is Savior, he's already changed us. He's already transformed our lives. He's already forgiven our sin. He's already guaranteed us eternal life in heaven. How could we not willingly choose to follow Jesus? And he chose those who were willing to be with him. He chose those who would willingly choose to be like him. Because that was part of the plan of a disciple following his master, his teacher, his rabbi. Folks, you can follow Jesus. It is our desire as a church, as a body, as a ministry here to give you the opportunities to give you the choices. Uh, if you're serious about being a disciple, about following Jesus, Sunday mornings is gathering together. We've read a few weeks ago out of Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Community is critical. If you're going to be a disciple, you need one another. What we do here in this service together, in the ABF hour that follows, we have community groups there's a number of groups that spend time praying together during the week. You just saw uh, a ladies' Bible study going, uh, that, that's being introduced. There are plenty of opportunities and, and for our children, for our youth ministries as well. In fact, remember to be praying for our students later on this morning as there are high school students, about 15 of them, up at Rock Mountain Bible Camp for a, a snow camp. Mel Walker speaking. And they're there to be challenged to follow Jesus. Take advantage of those opportunities. 
Get God's word in you. Let God's word dominate your thinking, your words, your behavior, your attitude, your heart, your mind, your soul. Know God's word. Memorize God's word. Put it in your heart and follow Jesus. But it gets better because not only did Jesus choose us, he's equipped you. Jesus chose you, but Jesus equipped you. In verse 19, when Jesus said, come follow me, he then said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now that word, some translations read, I will make you fish for people. The idea, the word there is to cause a person to become something. Jesus is the one who empowers, who equips who enables, you pick any of the words, who equips us to be followers of Jesus, who equips us to be fishers of people, to equips us to be able to proclaim the gospel to people who don't know Jesus so that they can respond in faith believing and become a child of God. Jesus does that. And it begins when we know the gospel. When we know how we came to know Jesus. When we know that we were born sinners. That Jesus died in our place for our sin. To forgive our sin. So that we could have relationship with him. So that we could know him. We were dead in our sins, the Bible says. But Jesus died on the cross, gave his life, shed his blood so that our sin could be forgiven, so we could be declared right before God. When we believe, that's what happens. That's half the battle. That's the message. That's understanding the people who don't know Jesus need him, just like we did at one point in time. And as we proclaim that truth, Will we let them know you're lost? And Jesus came to seek and to save you like he did me and I believed and you can too. Proclaim the gospel. The fact that these disciples were going to be with Jesus, he said to them, I will make you. I will send you out to fish for people. Those first disciples spent time with Jesus. They listened to all that he had had to say they did what he did. They left all to follow him. Can you imagine being with Jesus like that? Wow. Huh? Now, the Bible is great. Because we don't have that opportunity to walk side by side with Jesus through the countryside and into the towns and villages and watch him do the miracles and proclaim the hear the message of the gospel. We have the word of God to tell us all about that. But that's how we learn. That's how we become fishers of men. That's how Jesus can say, when you follow me, you will be sent. I will send you out to make you fishing, fishers of people. Going from there, verse 21, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, pre preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed 
him. Same thing. Jesus does the choosing. He chose James and John. And he said the same thing. You follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, I'm not much of a fisherman. I know we have a number here. And I know there are times when you go fishing and don't catch anything. I remember when we were in Russell, Iowa, the first church we pastored. Jenny and I had only been married for a little bit, six months maybe, and we started pastoring this church. And out there in, in Iowa, southern Iowa, I mean, I think everybody fishes. I think, I think they're born with fishing rods in their hands. I, I, so our neighbor across the street, um, he and his wife, sweet people, sweet old people, probably as old as we were. Didn't they seem like, like really old? They're probably younger than us now. Uh, who knows? He invited me to go fishing. I'm like, I don't know anything. I don't have any equipment. I don't know how to do this. So he takes me out to this pond, and we're going we're gonna to fish for big mouth bass. Okay, that must mean there are little mouth bass too. I, I don't know. But anyway, so we do. And, and he tells him what to do. It gets me all hooked up. And, you know, I do that thing. And, you know, it goes right about there. So he kind of gets it. And it goes about a mile out there. I don't know. It's just, and nothing's happening. And, and I'm like, all right, eh, winding it in. Nothing's happening. So he says, here, come here, just like this. And he does it. I mean, like that, he's got a fish. I'm like, there's something. Same thing again. I never did catch anything, and he must have had a bucket full. I'm like, how does this work? But when Jesus said, I will make you, I will send you out to fish for people, you're going to be successful. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to see people come to Jesus because it's not about our ability. Boy, I'm so grateful for that because I don't know how to fish. But when it comes to reaching people, it's not about me or you. All we do is proclaim the truth and Jesus reels them in. That is so cool. Now, we could go on and talk about all that, but Jesus has equipped you and is still tweaking you still preparing you still growing you as you learn his word as you understand the power of the holy spirit within you do you you remember the great commission we talked about that in matthew 28 our mission to go and make disciples well he told the disciples in acts chapter 1 verse 8 he said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. When did that happen? When the church began, folks, because we're part of the church. The moment we're saved, we get all the Holy Spirit there is to get. I mean all. It's not a few days or weeks or months or years later when you all of a sudden get real spiritual that the Holy Spirit comes into your life. That's not how it works. The moment you're saved, I mean the instant moment you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, triune God, live within us. And it's the Holy Spirit that has given us the power we need to reach people for Christ as we proclaim the gospel. We can follow Jesus and we can 
fish for people and see people come to Christ because of what Jesus did. He chose us and he's equipped us. There's an old story, a parable years ago about fishing. I want to read it to you as we close this morning. And when I'm finished with this, we're going to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come up here. Our band's going to come up on the platform at that time, and they're going to just play. And they're going to give you the opportunity, as you've maybe already identified, as we talked about last week, as we sent out in our email this week, to be ready to do that. If God has burdened your heart, if you've identified a person who you know needs Jesus and you're going to begin to pray for that individual and then begin to invest in their lives, hopefully the opportunity to invite them into a conversation about Jesus, you're going to put them up on the cross just like that. And we're going to be remembering to pray for people who need Jesus. Here's the parable. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were, and I just lost it. There we go. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish. The abundance... There we go. The abundance of fish and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defending fishing as an occupation and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they didn't fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where they might fish, where there were fish. The board hired staffs and appointed committees and held meetings to, de to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the psychological reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught and had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many graduated and were given fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters, which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way, so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. 
Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never fishes? More plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? It's time to start casting our nets. Who's the one you're going to go after? Who's your one? Let me pray. Father, <clears throat> you've chosen us. You've chosen us for salvation. You've chosen us to follow you. You know all about us. And you've equipped us. You've given us your word that tells us all that we need to know about you and about people who need you, about people who don't know you and how they can come to know you. Father, you've given us your spirit. You've promised your spirit. And the power that we need to see lives changed. Because it's not about us, it's all about you. Father, would you burden our hearts as a church. As individuals who make up this body of believers that we call Heritage Baptist Church. God, would you burden our hearts to be willing to follow you completely. Father, would you help us to claim the promise that if we follow, you will make us fishers of people. You will send us out to fish for people. You will use us to bring people to Christ. Father, I ask that you would stir our hearts as those who already know you to choose to follow and choose to proclaim the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done to provide, to provide forgiveness of sin and the power we need to do what you've called us to do. Father, I pray that if there are any here this morning that do not know Jesus, that you would open their hearts as they've heard the truth that they need Jesus because their sin will send them to hell. Oh God, use us to reach those who don't know Jesus. Each of us to reach one for the glory of God and the salvation of that individual. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So here's your opportunity. And, and I don't know if somebody, if you don't have one of these little cards, <clears throat> please raise your hand. We'd be glad to get you one. If you're not ready today to do so, if you're not ready to identify and begin to pray for an individual who needs Jesus, 
That's okay. This isn't about guilt. This isn't about pressure. This is about God's moving in your heart to simply say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be a disciple. And I'm going to fish for people. And if you've got cards and you put that individual's name on it, you just make your way right up and our worship team is just going to be playing some music. And while you do that, here's the red pins. And uh, you grab a pin and just like that, you put that individual's name up on the cross. And then stay up here because we're going to pray. All right? We're going to pray and ask God to, to use you as you reach your one. All right? If you're ready, you, you come. And again, if you're not ready, that's okay. We're doing this for the whole month of March. Each Sunday, we're going to give you an opportunity to put somebody's name. You're a one. Who's your one? All right? I got the pins. Amen. Hey, now you be praying. This is your responsibility. You're one, right? That's your commitment. And you keep at it. Pray, invest, invite. But we're going to be praying. In fact, the last Sunday of March, March 29th, right here at 530, we're going to have a time of prayer and worship. And we're going to be committing these people, praying for their salvation. Let me pray this morning as we close. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the moving of our hearts. Father, I pray that you would bring these people to Christ. I pray that you would use us as you promised to be fishers of people. Father, you've chosen us. You've equipped us to do this. God, help us to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give us the opportunity. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment as we build relationships with these individuals. God, give us confidence in the gospel. It's the truth of the gospel that brings these people to yourself. Oh, God, I pray for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, for these who need you, who need to know their sin and their lostness. And God, open the door for us to share the love of God through Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be faithful in praying and investing and inviting. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you, and you're dismissed. <laughs>